0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 111 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org.
1: Our next sponsor you might be slightly familiar with. You may recall a previous Conquering Columbus episode we did, episode number 26, where we interviewed Stuart Crane, who bootstrapped his healthware software business to an eventual $43 million exit in 2013. Well, he's back at it with a new startup called Voice Metrics, based here in Columbus, Ohio. Stuart's new company got going last fall, and they've landed a number of customers, including Crosschecks, which is one of Columbus's high-flying VC-backed companies. Voice Metrics is a voice application available for Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri that allows businesses to get their KPIs, metrics, and any business information just by asking. To give you an example of how this works, here's what it sounds like. Open Voice Metrics. Good morning, Robert. Our sales yesterday was $17,500, and we had 24 new signups. Website traffic is up 13%, and we are 82% to our monthly revenue goal. Have a great day. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy to use and tailored fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools property management manufacturing fast casual restaurants you can learn more check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: mike here again do you want to be a sponsor of conquering columbus we are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018 to inquire about how you can help support the podcast please send an email to mike at conquering all right conquerors, let's get the show on the road
1: You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire
2: to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average.
0: This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Tom Walker, CEO of rev One Ventures, joining us. And before rev One, Tom spent some time at Battelle, and he's founded several companies on his own, as well as been an author, and he spends a lot of time on the boards of Nationwide Children's Hospital and the Science and Technology Campus Corporation here in Columbus. We're very excited to have him here on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Tom.
2: I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: we really appreciate you joining us this evening. And I always like to start off kind of how's your day going so far? And what's maybe a typical day look like for you?
2: Sure. Well, my day's going well. It's it's been an exciting day at Rev1 Ventures. We've had over 200 visitors there today. It's one of our founder lunches. So we have a founder of a company come in and tell a story. And a lot of people in the community, you know, come in to hear that. Um, As for how I spend my day, it varies. You know, I'm... Probably 60% of my time is outside of the office, 40% is inside of the office, and you know a lot of communications, um, either in person or electronically, working with partners, investors, and entrepreneurs. So um, one of the things I love about my job is every day is different.
1: So we'll get more into everything you got going on today a little bit later, but first kind of like kick it off and talk about your background and your childhoods. So if you want to take us through maybe... A little bit of growing up and your path to um, maybe starting your first company and uh, what that looked like
2: sure well growing up I've uh, you'll hear a southern accent um, I grew up south of uh, Houston Texas near Galveston Island I was born in Oklahoma so and my family moved around a lot so there was a point in uh, my childhood I was in nine different schools in four years so moved moved around a lot including the senior year of high school so um, my senior year of high school we we wound up in um, Oklahoma City which is where a lot of my family was and um, I was in a drafting school or a votech in high school as a, a mechanical drawing school which actually got me into college i won a drawing competition that uh, landed me a, a partial scholarship and um, I come from hum- a humble background and so that actually introduced me to college and uh, ended up into aerospace engineering school at the University of Oklahoma so boomer sooner and um, shameless of, plug yeah exactly shameless <laughs> plug well you're wearing an Ohio State shirt there so I had to <laughs> I had to do it sorry um, but um, you know tight family um, grew up on the south coast so i grew up fishing a lot and was usually outdoors and um uh you know just had a great time baseball player you know things that kids do
1: what did your parents do growing up any reason why you moved so much
2: yeah my dad uh was a chemical engineer and a metallurgist and so his career took him to different plants and different things like that around the country um as a sort of a adventure he um, managed two different gold mines in Nevada so there was a point in time where we lived in Nevada and we literally lived at a gold mine site in the middle of a desert so I had a lot of experiences just sort of um, you know roaming a desert and um, I remember one time I actually found an old abandoned railroad line and you know things of that nature that uh, you know was pretty fun for a kid of 12 or 13.
0: You know, it's funny, I actually, I moved around a lot myself growing up. My dad was a Marine for 21 years, so it was, you know, year or two here, year or two there. Uh, do you think that experience, you know, shaped your, your future behavior in terms of your ability to connect with people or the way that you interact with people at all? Because I know for myself, I always feel like I, I found it easier for myself to talk with people because I grew up experiencing, hey, i got to learn, i got to meet new friends, i got to go talk to people. Is that similar for you?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it was, I don't know how it was for you at the time. It was difficult for me at the time, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, when we did our first move, we had been in a, in, a, in a community for a long time. So, you know, I had a friend base and, you know, all the things that we like to think of. But after you move around a lot, you learn to meet people and um, uh, it, it becomes, you know, sort of a, a good tool for you uh, later in life.
1: So after you wrap up college, kind of how does your uh, career begin to unfold, like first job, and then eventually how do you find your way to Columbus, Ohio?
2: Yeah, the so while I was in engineering school, I landed an internship with a, a, a Columbus company called Battelle, and I was, in, I was in Norman, Oklahoma, at the University of Oklahoma, and um, I had applied to um, a lot of engineering firms, and Battelle being one of them, and I received a letter from them that said, we have an office in Oklahoma City that could use a... Engineering intern, and so um, you know it was just a godsend for me. That's really what um, launched me out of college. And then they offered me a job, and and um, so my first job was with Patel full time in the Oklahoma City market. And I worked for um, uh, the, under a lot of different contracts for them out of the Columbus office, and they had a number of projects with uh, the Department of Defense. And so I would travel around on those projects as a young engineer, block and tackling, and um, was exposed to, I think, over 50 different technology projects. Everything from changing out the GPS system on the Air Force One fleet to literally digging ditches for environmental cleanup projects and everything in between. And um, it was really just a terrific experience for me. I think being in an off-site location gave me a lot of autonomy, Uh, learned how to be a leader, had a great mentor during that period, and did some really fun things. You know, installed one of the first um, uh, photovoltaic arrays, solar cells, and um, wind turbines on an Air Force base. Um, You know, things of that nature that just became pretty exciting. But um, while there, I went to MBA, got an executive MBA and knew I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and met a gentleman that was uh, interested in starting a company that uh, was focused on uh, commercializing technologies from research institutions. And I joined him and there were three of us as co-founders and that was in 1998 and um, that became a company called I2E that I ended up running for about 14 years. I thought I was going to do it for about two years. But while there, I was able to be very entrepreneurial. I started several different in- investment funds. I started my first fund in 1999 um, and did, you know, a series of funds uh, with them after that period and had a chance to travel to Europe and, you know, all kinds of things and advise the European government on entrepreneurship. and. All that led to uh, somewhere around 2012, um, I received a call from a recruiter that was working for the uh, City of Columbus, uh, leadership in the City of Columbus, and wanted to start a a more aggressive um, startup support uh, initiative here. And that's, you know, the rest is history. In about three weeks, it'll be six years.
1: And where was the executive MBA at?
2: Oklahoma City University, a private university in in Oklahoma City. Okay. Great experience.
1: And then, so during that 12 years, you kind of like packaged it up, and it seems kind of small. I'm probably looking back on it. It probably went fast. But for the people listening, how do you unpackage your path into there and then running it? And then you were going through your executive MBA at the same time, I'm assuming, as you were going through that path. I did
2: my MBA while I was at Battelle. Okay. And I I was um, – I I had – one of the few things in my life I had planned I I thought well I'm going to get out and get some experience first because I had an engineering degree and I wanted to get that experience but I always knew I wanted to do an MBA so I'd be a little more well-rounded so I don't know about my five-year mark with Battelle I started the MBA program and when I finished the MBA I did it in uh, about a year and a half and when I finished it is when I really had the itch to start doing something different.
1: And did you jump in as running the company right away? Did you kind of I
2: didn't. I actually, um, I resigned from Battelle, and uh, the whole story is I resigned from Battelle and I sold my house because I thought I was going to have to move to a coast to do something a little more entrepreneurial. And um, through networking, I I met some this gentleman, um, uh, Dr. Randy Goldsmith, and. everything you know just kind of went from there Um, and I uh, ended up being able to stay home close to family had to buy another house cuz I'd sold mine but um, and that you know I had a number of roles my first role was um, building out uh, support services for startups for really early stage companies and and the whole process around assessing the technologies early on that if you were spinning them out from a research institution or whether entrepreneurs were, were coming up with those ideas and what kind of help did they need and that sort of thing. I, uh, r- you know, realized early on that uh, these entrepreneurs needed capital. So in Oklahoma there, were, there was no venture funds of any kind so um, I learned how to create a fund. First fund was in 99 and um, second fund was in 2002 and the third fund was in 2005 and you know, so, so on and so forth. And uh, let's see, I started running the company in 2000 and um, around two-ish, two, three, something like that.
0: And you mentioned earlier that, you know, you only planned on staying there for two years. You ended up staying 14. What about it did you enjoy so much? And, and what do you think allowed you to be successful about yourself personally, maybe characteristic-wise or, you know, work ethic-wise?
2: The This ended up being a career field I just fell in love with, and I really enjoy working with entrepreneurs, and one of the, um, I guess there's two key drivers there. One, I like helping people, and, you know, there's a certain aspect of our business where you're helping people achieve their goals, and that's really important to me. Uh, The day-to-day aspect that's a driver for me is that every day is different. You know, so uh, yeah, I get to meet different people every day, different challenges, different things to, to help them. And I'd say that's been a common denominator for the last 20-plus years um, that is a good driver for me personally.
1: Kind of a segue um, on our way into Rev. 1, you talked about raising multiple funds up till this mm-hmm. point. Can you talk about the process of, you know, you like 99, 02, 05, so very different times economically Um, What it was like maybe with, you don't have to go into depth on each fund, but kind of the process of finding your limited partners, bringing together Mm -hmm. the money, and what it was like during the different economic periods that you did that.
2: Well the first fund was the hardest, and because I didn't have a track record, and um, I I had a good plan and a need and um, found an early partner. Uh, That fund returned capital in two years, which is very unusual, so it was a very successful fund. That made the second fund easier to raise, um, but you know it's 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 a, it's a process. Um, you have to have a, a strong uh, strategic plan, and uh, you have to be fulfilling a need, just like any entrepreneurial venture. Yeah, you know, I can think to our first fund at Rev One was in 2014, and it was a it was a relatively small fund, uh, only three LPs, um, but we launched our second fund in. Uh, 2017 with, uh, you know, 18 LPs. And, um, you know, that fund was an outgrowth of the success from the first fund. And these things just sort of build on on one another. Um, In in Columbus, we focused uh, mostly on uh, our corporate community participating in the funds, Um, because I, I have a strong belief that if the For the startup community to be successful, you really have to bridge the gap between the startup community and the corporate community, and we have a terrific corporate base here. But we're also a pretty young town when you think about it, and you compare it to our peers, you know, Pittsburgh, Cincy, Cleveland, those were economic powerhouses at the turn of the century. Columbus wasn't. And if you look at our successful companies right now in our backyard, many of them were founded in the 60s, 70s, which wasn't very long ago. From an economic standpoint so how do we get them involved in the startup ecosystem was was really a big part of our thesis Um, but you know you have to have a a strong plan you have to have the right people um, on your team raising a fund is just like any startup you know it you've got to have a good team they're investing in the people that are running the fund and really the the business idea
0: And do you think it was your ability to identify people to bring onto your team, to identify the correct, I mean, I wouldn't say correct, but to identify, you know, startups that have a lot of potential, like, what about the way you went about the business? Because it's clear you've had a lot of success over the years in in raising funds and continuing to build Rev. One here in Columbus. Is there anything in particular about, you know, what you're looking for in people that you think has led or helped lead to that success?
2: I have a A little bit different process than than a lot of venture funds and um, and and the mission part of what we do is a little different we like to help really early stage entrepreneurs and the process we use is how do you band together resources around you know one two three person teams to help them look bigger go faster um, uh, and you know and, and really build a solid Company with strong roots from the beginning, um, as opposed to you know some funds look much later stage and things of that nature. So, um, so that helps. And then you know being able to attract the right people to your own team, being a good uh, judge of character and assessing the people that you're going to invest in, because at the end of the day you're investing in people, and you have to be able to build those relationships and and trust on both sides of the table. You know so. Those are just, you know, key characteristics. They're, they're not a lot different than probably what the two of you do every day in your business. You know, um, business is about people. Just different degrees of, uh, of, you know, uh, of, um, of strategy and working with them on whatever it is your your role is.
1: I think it's actually been kind of a surprising concept to me as I've grown in my career and kind of seen successful companies become successful and been a part of it is not, I always thought it was just like a disruptive technology that's gonna it's gonna enter into the market and people are gonna catch on to it now that you got it or you don't. But I think what I've begun to realize and from talking to other VCs who are running funds, like how much they talked about, I just focus on who the people running the company are and that's what I care about the most. And seeing like our space that we're working at now with Mike and I, it's there's a lot of competitors in the space. We're becoming really successful and I think a big part of it is our team here. So um, when you sit down, I guess, to segue this into a question, when you sit down with team members and you're looking at a company and you're looking at their management team and their experience, are you looking at their track record? Have they built successful companies before? Have they failed before? Is failing um, a badge of honor, is that more of a scar in your eyes? Like, How does that kind of reflect with you?
2: That's a great question. So, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, for us, because we go in so early, oftentimes we're investing in first-time entrepreneurs. And I've been doing that for almost 25 years now. So. Being a first-time entrepreneur entrepreneur does not worry me. It's more about you know how what are the skill sets of that individual? What kind of person are they? How far can they carry this venture? And you're thinking about you know how well could they attract talent? What kind of culture could they build within a company? Is it a winning culture? You know, it sounds like you're part of a winning culture, and and that's really important. Um, uh, I'm, I happen to be a believer in servant leadership. You know, you can lead by serving others. Um, and I like to see that kind of character, you know, that quality in, in, in others. Um, you know, it's. I think it's easy to get enamored with the technology or the product in this business um, as an investor. But you, you can't because, you know, the it, the old adage of, you know, a B product in a great company can, you know, beat a, a product in a Sorry, company so you know you look at things like competitive advantage you know what sizes the market are you seeing some positive trends you know and um, those all those things are important but looking at the individual is 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 really the key in terms of failure there's there's good failure and there's bad failure right and so um, I like to explain that to people because it's easy to make a blanket statement how oh, we need more failures because that'll bring on more success I believe that but there's some failures that you don't want to touch again right Um, but uh, good failures can act build great character you learn from it if you're a passionate entrepreneur and and you believe in your um, heart that you want to do this again and you know I learned from this uh, mistake Uh, here's what it brought me you know I will back that person every day
1: then as, as the company begins to grow and you've gone into this investment with them, if you start to see the culture turn south, um, where does that come into play with you and your team? Do you guys build in, um, I guess, term sheets around, like, where you have board seats and you can kind of try to help to control that? Like, what do you do if something starts to go south? That's
2: a great question. So, investing is a team sport, you know. So, we in my career I've almost never been the only investor in a company you know we always co-invest we like to work with others and when you invest in a company usually there's a board of directors you know so maybe because of our investment we may have a board seat sometimes we don't it just kind of depends on the makeup there's usually a board and when you're investing in the company and others other investors are at the table all that all the kind of dynamics that you're outlining are are, are there whether there's a a um, employment agreement with the CEO and what are the terms um, of that agreement and if things go south you know sometimes they're outlined and on uh, termination and those kinds of things but when things go south in a company um, you know sometimes it's market conditions sometimes it's financial conditions you know there are any number of things that could happen uh, usually the board is involved and usually the CEO is on the board and you know you Uh, you have uh, you know strategic planning sessions to figure out what to do next and um, sometimes it's uh, tough decisions about capital is running out you've got only so much time and um, you may have to let people go and so then you go through the coaching of what kind of CEO do you want to be do you want to be the CEO that uh, comes in on Friday and says you know none of you can come back on Monday or do you want to be the CEO that says Look, we have, looks like we have about four to six months of runway. We're having some challenges. I want you to know today that we're having these challenges. I hope you can stay, but also, you know, for your own family and those kinds of things, I want you to know what we're working towards. So, me personally, I always believe in the transparent approach with the team, and that's the kind of culture you ought to build. But usually, you know, specifically to your question, when things go south, it's a team effort. You know, there's others at the table, it's not just on the CEO's. Shoulders which is why you have a board. Which is why you have a management team and so you all work through those things together
0: Yeah, I think it's an important aspect of culture in any startup is is that team mentality, right? So here at FMX, you know, I think there's a really big sense of hey, we're all in this together And I don't think you can breed that kind of a culture if you're <clears throat> If your leadership team isn't open with everybody um, so I, I definitely hear what you're saying and I, I think that makes a lot of sense uh, what I want to talk about next is I want to focus in on kind of what your relationship like Rev ones relationship specifically looks like with with the small startup teams you bring into your fold and, and you invest in um, kind of where does that relationship start I know a lot of them are working out of the Rev one offices so um, kind of what type of support are you giving them what type of back and forth conversations going on there
2: sure um, well before we invest in a company we've, we've been working with the team for For several months so um, you know we get to know them through just the services we provide we have a number of different access points Um, we have a series of uh, learning labs is what we refer to them as and they're really hands-on learnings on um, how to take a product to market how to work with a customer how to identify if you know that there's really a um, an opportunity there how to build a team how to work how to identify talent, um, you know, all those kinds of things are our learning labs, and they're no cost. We offer it up to all the entrepreneurs that we decide to work with, and they're they're just great building blocks for everybody. Um, There's different events and things in networking that um, entrepreneurs can you know access and you know figure out about us. Um, you guys have probably been to one or two, but uh, once we invest, you know we've we've gotten to know. Um, the team. Sometimes it's just one person, sometimes it's two. And, um, you know, there's a pretty good trust factor there, and it's a pretty close relationship. We're usually, um, you know, we invest really early. We'll we'll invest at a concept stage. So sometimes when that happens, it's in terms of capital at the table, it's us and maybe an angel investor. So it's a pretty small, tight-knit group. And, um, you know, you can imagine how close those relationships can be because you're going through um, really tough times together but boy it's really satisfying when you know uh, something starts taking off in the marketplace and you know you can have those celebrations and you start seeing a concept stage company go to a seed stage that goes to you know where they're having really nice recurring revenue and, and moving down the road
1: and then offering those free services off the bat, how does that look like for you guys funding those? I mean, it's obviously, you, know, you talked about helping people first, and that's obviously a great approach, especially in the Columbus community. I mean, even if you don't invest in those companies, they're getting a lot out of that, figuring out, am I gonna make it, am I not? Um, but for you guys to be able to fund those different programs, how is that possible with your guys' current model? Is it the corporate partners that are helping? Right.
2: So, uh, remember, we've talked a lot about inv- the investment side of things here, but fundamentally, we are a nonprofit. So, Rev1 is a 501c3 nonprofit. We have for profit subsidiaries, which is where the investment activity takes place. But the core part of uh, who we are is the nonprofit, and we're funded by the community. Um, so, the community being uh, 51 corporate partners. Um, the City of Columbus is a partner of ours. Franklin County is a partner. The City of Dublin, New Albany, Grove City. So we have a lot of you know, municipalities that believe in uh, the power of startups. And then we receive some funding through the Ohio Third Frontier Program And so, at the state level. So we have a lot of different uh, funding partners. We're a true public-private partnership in, the, in that sense. Um, and so that's, that's where all the services are delivered. And um, whether it's in our facility or whether it's in the learning labs and those kinds of things.
1: So those corporate partners are stepping up not only on the nonprofit side, but they're becoming limited partners in the um, profit. Some of them side. have
2: yes. Yeah, some of our our corporate partners have invested in the in the investment funds That's to help great. us actually provide capital to entrepreneurs to to start their businesses. Yeah.
0: And so with those corporate partners and things like that, I think I mean. I'd like to know, you know, kind of what your thought process is. But based on the cities I've been to and the places I've lived, I feel like Columbus is kind of in a unique situation when it comes to the way our community comes together. When it comes to public and private, I think that there's a lot of blurred lines there, and that Columbus, um, you know, is is almost unique in that situation. And I think that it's been a big driving force for, uh, you know, our push towards becoming kind of a Midwest powerhouse when it comes to startups. So do you think that that comes from the community members from the top down? Is it the government? Is it the city of Columbus saying, "Hey, we want to push this emphasis"? Or do you think that it's business leaders? Kind of, how do you see that community forming up in Columbus since you've been here for? Yeah, a while? you know,
2: I think everyone's trying to answer that. What it, what's the magic potion in the water in Columbus? Um, it really is a pretty special community. Um, so I was recruited by a number of the you know, top CEOs um, of the large corporations in town. So I always use that as an example. Um, they weren't entrepreneurs or leading, you know, Fortune whatever companies, right? And But they believe in this community and they believed in how important it is to have a startup ecosystem in this community. You know, you don't see that in every, every town. Um, we have 14 Fortune 1000s um, the economy, the the industries that those corporate, corporations represent are really diverse, so that helps our community to um, weather the good times and the bad. Which is why, you know, we what we have unemployment rate of three point something percent is it's practically zero, um, and has been for some time. So it's a pretty unique environment in that sense. We're a large city. We're now the largest in the state, um, one of the fastest growing in the Midwest, but you can still get to just about anyone you want to in this town and, and have a meeting and discuss something, which I think is pretty special. And hopefully that, that stays in in our culture here, because I think it, it helps the city identify problems. It helps the city solve problems. And, um, you know, like any city, we we have great opportunities and great challenges, too, that, that we need to, to uh, uncover. And I think there's something ab- ab- about uh, Columbus where a lot of people – I just meet a lot of people that aren't from here. You know, so it's, it's like whether it's re- recruited talent or it's just a nice mix. Uh, and there is something about when you have that kind of mix um, – So so like me, for example, I'm not from Columbus, but I call it home now. And, um, but you know, I don't have any baggage. I'm not worried about what happened 20 years ago or 10 years ago in town. I really, I don't, I'm all, I'm thinking about the future, which I think is a characteristic of of, uh, this population in Columbus. Most people in Columbus think the best days are ahead. It's a very aspiring community, which is inspiring to be a part of
1: yeah, I agree I, I do see the melting pot aspect of it, and I see that um, I think a lot of people move here, and a lot of people who will shift cities from other places are usually driven to make something out of that move, you know, and I think that energy kind of transpires into what our community and everything is evolving into, mm-hmm. and I think you can see that just from going to the different parts of the city and watch how they 're growing, watch how they're evolving, the businesses that are popping up and a lot of things are just coming from the grassroots and then growing to be, you know, big, big situations such as like Hot Chicken Takeover, mm-hmm. Mikey's Late Night Slice, all these cool companies. Um, I'm interested to hear now, though, a lot of talk around the economy continues to grow. Um, people are talking about how a lot of companies that are startups are kind of, you know, growing in valuation and they're going public and not reaching the valuations that they reached in the private sector. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? In, like the VC? I know you guys are met- investing really early stages, mm-hmm. but... Do you think that there's any slight bubble out there with, you know, startup companies?
2: Well, you know, I've seen at least two bubbles in, in my career, and I, I, I think we're, we're seeing another one right now. It's, it's a hot market. Um, it really is. And if you look in uh, Silicon Valley, you can see the growth of um, seed stage valuations, you know, over the last four or five years or so, but you're also starting to see them stall out now. Um, you know, is that an early indicator of uh, of um, the bubble? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not an economist, but, you know, some of these valuations are just, they're hard to get your arms around, and for me, it feels very much like um, the dot-com era, which uh, was when I was an early investor, and I benefited by some of those, and I, you know, also rode some of them all the way into the ground, so... Um, At the end of the day, what I like to think about are just fundamentals of business. And, you know, we're an investor in companies that can um, get to revenue and have real customers and grow uh, that way. So I don't worry too much about, you know, what, what the valuation bubbles and those kinds of things are, so... But, you know, just like in uh, late 90s, early 2000s, you'll see private companies' valuations that are higher than some of the public companies who, you know, have more revenue and more, you know, uh, growth and things of that nature. But technology and innovation drives a lot of that. Um, We're also an investor in biotech. And right now you see um, uh, gene-related technologies are uh, just incredibly uh, highly valued and so uh, it's a different kind of dynamic in biotech companies um, because they're still at the research phase uh, but you see innovations driving some of these really high valuations sometimes too
1: yeah i think from like a very naive perspective and again like just taking like i told you before i started to be taking like my first class i run these vcs this semester and just learning about this I think the energy around startups, at least in Columbus, that I can feel, it makes sense that there might be a slight bubble there. A lot of people are super excited about throwing money in the startup community, and you hear about being a part of a startup, and somebody's like, oh, wow, you must you must be part of something big. And then you hear about companies like Square or something that go public and kind of drop off after a little bit. Um, so I think it makes sense like from an outside perspective. But again, it's interesting to hear that perspective from somebody who's gone through the dot-com bubble. It almost feels, though, like taking Square, for example, like comparing that to the dot-com bubble, like they're building a real company that people are engaged with and getting excited about, but yet it still kind of dropped off when it went public. Did the same thing happen in the dot-com bubble or is it more, because I like, I heard about companies that would like, they would increase in valuation by like 20% just from changing their name to something more internet-based. Like we're not really seeing that now.
2: Yeah, no, then it, everything, it, you know, it was different because everything was so new back then. And um you know, so every one of those companies was new. The the whole concept was new. And so now you have, um, you know, 20 years of having the Internet. And, and so this wave is a lot different, you know, I think. Um, business concepts seem more real. Uh, but, you know, you, if you recall, but, um, uh, but the... Uh, uh, online grocery store and things of that nature, those companies went public in, um, uh, in the dot-com boom. It didn't quite work out. It works out now, right? It works now. Think about how Amazon started and, you know, Monday was one of their biggest sales days in their history. They started as an uh, uh, online bookstore. But back then, their original business plan was to do all these things that they're doing today. It just took it took time, and they were a winner, you know. So there's some big victors that have come out of all of that. But this feels different to me. You know, it's just everything was so new back then. I I remember uh, a company that I looked at that pitched to us, and we didn't invest in. But it was an online casket company. You know, this would have been like 1999, and. Um, you know, it was going to be the way everyone was going to buy caskets and anything funeral related. Um, and lo and behold, a, a book came out that's kind of a famous book, which I would recommend if you're an entrepreneur, called The Monk and the Riddle. came out in oh, probably late, late 90s, written by a, a, an angel investor in, in the valley. Um, and he tells the story what I liked about the book is he tells the story of helping entrepreneurs and I really related to that but one of the entrepreneurs he was helping in that book was an online casket company and so I I remember thinking at that time okay you know have you seen everything now because now there's multiple online casket companies so that would have been what 98 99 you know something like that
1: you wrote the book down You know this is recorded right
0: yeah, I do know. I'm going to go back and yeah. reread it, but uh, <laughs> uh, or listen to it. But uh, one thing I wanted to talk about there in terms of the dot com bubble is that I read you know a book on talking about Warren Buffett in his biography. I don't know if you've ever read The Snowball. But it's a, it's a book on Warren Buffett. And then he talks about how there was a particular like toys company, like an online toy sales company, that was valued more than Toys R Us at the time. Whereas Toys R Us was making hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and this company had like a million. And not even like anywhere near close. But it was valued higher than Toys R Us. And I think that there was a common misconception at the time of barrier to entry with the internet that maybe isn't as, you know, I think we're much more aware of, of barriers to entry today in business. Whereas people thought, oh, well, they, these, this company was the first to be on the internet, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to crush Toys R Us. But then Toys R Us just got a website and You know, that company, we don't even know. I can't even remember the name today. So what are the barriers to entry today when it comes to startups, and how are these innovations shaping up to challenge these big companies?
2: Well, some of the uh, key barriers to entry are the same, you know, for any company. It's, you know, how how do you identify a customer? How do you get the product to the customer? You know, those kinds of things. What are the distribution channels? What does the competitive landscape look like? How much money is it going to take me to – uh, you know actually do that you got uh, finances are a barrier to entry do you have the talent that's going to take to either build the technology or the team you know in your region all those kinds of things those are the standard barriers to entry that any company faces and you know the more the, the quicker you can obviously conquer those the faster your your company's going to grow innovations technologies can um, uh, uh, simplify that you know the 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 best modern day example today, uh, second time I've used it as an example, is Amazon. It's an old company now, but I remember when it wasn't, you know, and um, they have figured it out. You know, they, they know how to distribute products and it really doesn't matter what kind of product it is, consumer based product, right? So um, innovations and technology can a- absolutely pave the way. and you know almost every company that we're looking at today has some sort of disruptive approach towards solving one of those problems most of what i've looked at in my career have all been b2b Um, i've i've only been in a few consumer deals so it's not uh, by far not my expertise Uh, but most of my deals have been solving b2b you know business to business related issues and similar barriers to entry um sometimes tougher to sell to corporations you know so you've got to find a way to actually get in and but at the same time you're trying to convince people that there's a problem and that you have a a, a solution to that
1: problem we've kind of drug into some deep waters at this point we have none of this was on the outline no that's fine (laughs) but as we kind of bring it back and we start to wrap things up i guess uh one of my final questions and then michael hit you with the last one what do you think the future looks like you talked about a little bit but Future for Columbus? Do you see more um, VCs coming into area in the area? And I guess I'm curious to know too. When additional VCs say like when Drive decided to move here, was that something? I would think that it would be something that you guys might get excited about because it might encourage more capital to come to the area. Um, and they are looking like they're focusing on later stage investments anyway. So I don't know what that looks like for you. So I think to encompass that into one question: Do you see more capital moving into Columbus? And uh, if so, does that make you guys excited at Rev One?
2: Yes, yeah, sure. So I really excited about the growth of Columbus and the opportunity for startups and entrepreneurs. I think, you know, we've, we as a community have accomplished a lot, you know, so we're, we we now show up routinely on rankings for, um, you know, startup growth and things of that nature which is pretty impressive and I think we're one of the best communities for that growth in the Midwest. we need more capital. Uh, whenever we see a drive, or um, you know, a, a recent fund that launched that we um, had, we provided some assistance to, is called Tamron Hill. Um, you know, we're excited about it. We need more funds. We don't view it as com- competitive at all. Um, in fact, you know, we'd like them all to be next door to us. You know, um, so th- that's a positive and. So we need more organized funds here. It'll take time, you know. As we have more successes in Columbus, that helps. You know, the news of exits like Cover My Meds that spreads, you know, and people wonder, you know, what what's going on there. Let me come see, you know. And so um, uh, that produces more opportunities. puts um, uh, puts Columbus on a map. And you know, I think some of the work Rev One's doing will spin spin out more funds you know we'll we'll obviously create more investment funds it's part of our model Um, but the other part of our model that maybe not be so recognizable is that we recruit talent at Rev One we we're training people um, who uh, you know haven't been in the VC industry before and they're getting that training real world I'm I fully expect some of our team members to spin out and start their own funds and that's part of it you know that's that's what's going to make this uh, this community a big success.
0: Well, Tom, I think that's a great place to kind of pivot into our last question of the show, which is centered around a theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about how Josh and I think about the phrase, what comes to mind when you hear it, and how would you apply it to your life and career?
2: Living uncomfortably. Live um, uncomfortably, yeah. Don't be afraid to take a risk. We started this talking about childhood. Um, maybe there's a good way to kind of wrap it in. I I think I went through a period in my life because I had moved so much that when I became an adult and was having some success, I didn't want to move. You know, I, I, I wanted to kind of stay put. And um, I sort of had an epiphany that um, opening yourself to new environments and... Um, different cultures and you know those kinds of things can actually help your growth and the people around you grow and that's risk taking you know and so, so sometimes we forget you know the different kinds of risk taking but don't be afraid to do that you know view things as an adventure um i spent a couple of years advising um uh, the the england government on um uh setting up entrepreneurship centers and I, and uh, it was just fascinating, you know, to get exposed to all these different cultures and different communities, and get to spend that time doing it, and um, it helps you grow. Those kinds of things. So, I think anyone that is is sort of thinking about their career, and uh, you know, you get the question, was this step planned? And for me, not many steps were. You know, I think it was. I'm driven by passion. I'm not a person that can come in and do the same thing day in day out there are those people out there but I'm not so for me I have to have something that really gives me a drive and that I get excited about and um, so use that kind of passion take some risks and um, try not to let fear drive you
0: well that's a great answer Tom and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Concord Columbus today I think you had a lot of great advice and a lot of great stories for our listeners so so thank you
2: my pleasure thank you for reaching out to us
0: Perfect. And Conquerors, thanks for listening. That was Tom Walker, CEO of Rev one Ventures. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We will talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say... Thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state.
1: And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. Our next sponsor you might be slightly familiar with. You may recall previous Conquering Columbus episode we did, episode number 26, where we interviewed Stuart Crane, who bootstrapped his healthware software business to an eventual $43 million exit in 2013, Well, he's back at it with a new startup called Voice Metrics based here in Columbus, Ohio. Stuart's new company got going last fall, and they've landed a number of customers, including Crosschecks, which is one of Columbus's high-flying VC-backed companies. Voice Metrics is a voice application available for Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri that allows businesses to get their KPIs, metrics, and any business information just by asking. To give you an example of how this works, here's what it sounds like Open Voice Metrics. Good morning, Robert. Our sales yesterday was $17,500, and we had 24 new signups. Website traffic is up 13% and we are 82% to our monthly revenue goal. Have a great day. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy to use and tailored fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools, to property management, manufacturing, fast casual restaurants. You can learn more check out a free trial at GoFMX.com. You can drop me
0: anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think
2: of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like,